What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Common Sense, the podcast from our top secret location. We won't tell you exactly where this is, but I think we're kind of digging the new spot. I don't know what you guys think. Let us know in the comments. Anyways, I want you guys to give a warm welcome to a guest I've been trying to get on for a while. We finally made it work. Everybody, please welcome Jason Koloski. What's up, brother? Hey, Garrett. Thanks for having me, brother. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, man. I'm excited to do this one. I mean, you guys are getting a like, like military legend, firearm CEO. Like, I mean, we, we got so many lanes to go down tonight. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, I am too. So, Jason, just for those that don't know you, why don't you give everybody a little bit of a background, CEO of Watchtower Firearms, and kind of let everybody know a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. So, um Currently CEO of, of Watchtower Firearms, next great American firearms company. Um, our whole vision, our mission, what we're trying to do is bring back um, firearms that are made by Americans in America. You know, there's a lot of, of brands out there that they're, they're bygone. They, they used to be made in America. There's foreign conglomerates that kind of eat out on their names, and uh, but they're actually built in Japan or wherever. So... We're looking to bring that back to America, and we've had some offerings right now that are pretty impressive. I think you've you've been talking about our uh, our Apache, our double stack 1911. That the thing would make John Wick want to cry. I mean, it's it's one of the most badass pistols I've ever shot in my life. It looks like one of the most badass pistols I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it like you said, John Wick. Like you watch a special ops type movie or anything show. That is like the finisher gun. Like the kid is amazing. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm I'm very proud of it. The team's really proud of it. But we have a lot of other stuff like that coming out. That's just kind of the 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 beginning of this story. So um, so again, CEO of Watchtower Firearms. Uh, previous to that, I uh, ran a business unit at Raytheon. Um, I worked in their Washington operations office. Uh, prior to that. I uh, spent a number of years in the Pentagon. Uh, I ran the Middle East office uh, within policy. Before that, I ran South and Southeast Asia, um, oversaw India, and um, then prior to that, was involved in foreign military sales in Washington for an, quite a while, uh, basically transferring uh, capability and capacity to our allies and partners around the world. Um, and then before that, uh, I was a recon marine. So um, those are better than Navy SEALs, right? Damn right, brother. I, I figured some of your fans that I know are probably watching this one uh, would want to know your answer to that. So I want to make sure I got that in there. Look, it, it's it's very clean. It's a very clean answer. Um, listen, if you're looking for somebody to write a book, do a calendar, uh, do a podcast, SEALs are incredible. There's some. You know, my good friend Rob and Ray, they are exceptional at podcasts. I think it's fourth phase in Buds now. Yeah? Um, right before Hell Week? Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, no, it's, it's afterwards. Oh, afterwards? No, it's it's okay. a finishing process. Oh, okay. It's a finishing process. Uh, but no, no, I, those, those are great Americans. I love them dearly, and uh, we enjoy a little I bit I can't of wait rivalry. to see the comments coming in after this. Like, that's going to be so great. <laughs> the amount of shit you guys gave each other just when I first met you when Rob was here doing his podcast with the other guys was phenomenal. I mean, I sat and laughed all night. It was greatness. <laughs> Love Rob. And, uh, you know, Ray, you know, he's... Yeah. You know, listen, if you need somebody to lean up against or, you know, like, to put your drink on, he's perfect. He's, he's right at the right height. 
And uh, that, that's why I brought him into the company. Yeah. I, I needed somebody to hold my drink. There you go. There you go. I mean, I heard they call him, what was it that I saw the other day? Like, they call him, like, in case of war, break glass. Well, in case of need of push-ups, too. I mean, <laughs> I'll give credit where credit is due. I mean, Ray's, uh, Ray's a great American. He's a specimen. The, the guy works out like a freak show. Um, it's unreal. I've seen his videos. Yeah. Like, it's, I, that thing he did with Bedros, like, I, I, I don't even understand. Like, I feel sorry for those guys. Like, they're getting to put hell week on civilians, basically, and it just looks so intense but amazing. Yeah. They, I want to know, did, when the 1911, when they've got to play around with it, did Nina outshoot Ray, or was it the <laughs> other way around? I mean, I'm, I'm curious how this went. I heard there's some little battles there on this range. Well, um, look, Ray's a special operator, just, just like myself, and yeah. he's a great American. But um, Nina, I, 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 watch the American Air Gunner Challenge. Um, you'll see what happens. I, I don't want to give it away. I, I've lost. I already know what happens. Okay. But I don't want to give it away. But at a certain point in Ray's life, Nina has bested him. We'll leave it at that. All right, all right. Well, you guys will have to tune in and check that out if you want to see how that ends. But I'm looking forward to seeing it because I, I know what the Instagram posts are going to look like after that result comes out. Yeah, there's, there's, there's zero shit-talking amongst the Watchtower influencers and brand ambassadors. No. Never comes up. They don't talk shit nope. at all. There's, there's, I mean, they're really quiet individuals. They really keep to themselves. Well, it's interesting. Pewview, Nick Johnson, who yeah. is uh, – I mean, he embarrasses all of us. I mean, I've never seen a guy shoot so well in my life. Um, he's actually the only one who doesn't talk shit. <laughs> he, Nick's, Nick's pretty quiet. But the rest of them, it's nonstop trash talking. That's awesome, man. Well, where are you from? You're, you're Cajun guy, right? I am. Um, I grew up in um, the major metropolitan city of Moss Bluff, Louisiana. <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek. Uh, the backwaters um, of Louisiana, Calcasieu Parish. Go down to the very bottom of Calcasieu Parish into Sam Houston State Park, and there's some swamps, and that's where I grew up at. In the privileged area, right? Privileged area. We were highly privileged. Uh, my first political appointment, and this, this is not a joke. It was really a <laughs> political appointment. Our state representative, when I was 13, um, my mom was trying to put me to work immediately uh, for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a bit of a pain in the ass. Um, they got me cleaning bathrooms in our local state park. That was, it was a political appointment. So uh, started uh, picking up trash and uh, cleaning bathrooms. And, um, yeah, very privileged upbringing. Very, very privileged. <laughs> and, uh, but, no, grew up hunting, grew up fishing. Um, <coughs> I was always in the woods uh, throughout my childhood. Spent that entire time doing that. So um, it was kind of a logical sequence, what I did in the Marine Corps. Also, my, my father was a Marine. My uncle was a Marine. Yeah, you had several generations. Like, it, did I get it right? Like, you've had a family member that served in every war since, like, World War II? Yes. Um, That's my, so impressive. My family kind of came over, not kind of, they, they came over in 1906, second great wave of immigration to the United States. Um, I was always told... We were Polish immigrants. Um, I got very interested in genealogy later in life, and I started looking on the map. And I went, I went to my grandmother, you know, rest her soul, and I, I asked her, I said, Grandma, that we're Polish, right? And she said, oh, yeah, absolutely. I said, but 
that's that city we're from is in Russia. And she's like, well, we're Polish. I said, but it's been in Russia for like 250 years. We're ethnically Polish. It's like, okay, whatever. Um, I don't really get too much into that. Right. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in America is an ideal, not a place. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a big believer in those uh, ideas of American exceptionalism. So I never really grew up deep into the, you know, being Polish or being Cajun necessarily or any of that stuff. So, uh, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's nice. I like St. Patrick's day. I think everybody should have a holiday and yeah. you should drink beer for everybody's thing. Yeah. Or but whiskey. I mean, whatever or, your thing or whiskey. is, look, yeah. you know, whatever you bring to the table, I'm yeah. all about, um, but no grew up in, a, you know, that, that type of environment. My, uh, since, you know, 1906, every member has, you know, the army, army air corps, uh, Navy island hopping throughout the South Pacific. Like I said, both my uh, my uncle and my dad, my, all of my uncles were in Vietnam. Um, so yeah, the, the military thing is something that's been generational. Uh, my son, extremely proud of him. Uh, just uh, this past summer graduated um, officer candidate school for the Marine Corps. Awesome. He graduates next May and then he'll fleet up as a, a second lieutenant um, in the Marine Corps. That's awesome, man. What, so if everybody else was in all the other branches, what made you choose to go Marine? Um, I grew up always, again, always outside, always in the rivers. Um, and I, the, the whole special operations thing, you got to remember, so like in the early 80s, there wasn't this omnipresent everybody's wearing Oakley's everybody's working out. Sills weren't allowed to write books yet. They didn't have that fifth phase of buds where they, they got the podcast class. Mm-hmm. The, you know, they, they didn't have that. They actually had to like, yeah. suffer. So, um, but there, there's preciously little on any of it. So, um, when I was originally, uh, going to college and, um, I was bartending, I was bartending with a guy who was a seal a guy by the name of Chris Taylor. And I was trying to decide what to do one way or the other. And uh, he, he made a comment to me. It kind of stuck in my head. He's like, look, he goes, he goes I'll disown you. I'll tell you anybody that ever asked me this, that I'm, you're lying. He goes, but they're fundamentally the same thing. He's like, but here's the difference. If you wash out of buds, you're going to be busting rust on a destroyer for the rest of your career. And you're going to be, every time they sell it, say, sweepers, sweepers, man your brooms, you're going to be that poor son of a bitch, you know, sweeping off the flight deck. Um, if you go through the recon selection process and it doesn't work out, you're still a Marine. And I said, okay, well, I, I grew up with kind of the, what, what stuck in my head also, besides just loving being outside and the hunting and just being in that environment was, I grew up around the kind of the, the shadow of Desert One, right? The the failed Iranian hostage yeah. uh, rescue mission, Operation Eagle Claw. And so that was another thing that kind of drove me and attracted me to that world. So I was trying to make, you know, how do I get there the quickest, the cleanest? You know, all these programs they have now where you can just smoothly roll into BUDS. You can just smoothly roll into the Q course or, or go through the recon selection. That didn't exist. Like, it, when I went in, it was, you're going to do your time in an infantry unit. You're going to then move. Then you'll be allowed the opportunity to try out. To try out, right? So, um, it was a different time, different place, yeah. different thought process. 
but yeah, that's that's kind of how kind of how it worked out. Awesome, man. So, as a Marine Recon, what what skills do you feel like you learned in the recon units that have been most applicable to your day-to-day life and your business life that you probably think is common sense, but maybe everybody else doesn't know, or there's a lot of things that are applicable. Um, I guess first and foremost, uh, and it's cliche, it's cliche, um, but it is, it is omnipresent when you're in that world. It's just never quitting under any set of circumstances. And, you know, one of the ways that's expressed, and I always joke, I, I, you know, you heard me uh, when I was on Rob's podcast joking about it. There's a lot of guys that are, you hear the tough guy stories. Yeah. That's, that's what's omnipresent in the media and when you hear guys yeah. talking about it. But in reality, you know, it, it, going through the different selection processes is brutal. It's miserable. And so the one thing that I was good at, I wasn't the fastest in the water. I wasn't the fastest running. I wasn't the strongest. I wasn't any of that. But I was, I was exceptional at drowning. <laughs> I was absolutely exceptional at drowning. So when you go through a lot of the, the drown proofing, people shallow water blackout. You just, your brain, you're oxygen deprived, and you kind of get the MTV vision, and then you, it goes out. And I got to enjoy that not once but twice. The hold reason, the record. I don't think. Well, actually, I don't hold the record. <laughs> but at that particular time, when you went through the process, they pulled you out. Usually, as soon as your body felt the oxygen, you know, you would gas, you'd you'd aspirate water, and they'd pull you out, and then they'd look at you, kind of slap you around a little bit. You okay? I am. Get back in. And nine times out of ten, everyone who was the high school quarterback or the, the lineman or all the tough guys, that's usually about the time they exited stage left every single time. Um, there's lots of people that say they'll never quit. The guys who are actually in the SEAL teams that are PJs, that are recon Marines, that are in the SF, uh, they're in the Rangers. They've been through a selection process that they know they won't quit. It's not a... It's not an emotional feeling. It's you've actually been pushed to that point. So while it's cliche, I would say you, you, you don't quit. You, uh, your worst day at work, you continue to put one foot in front of the other day after day, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much pressure you're under. Uh, and that has carried me a long way in a lot of different walks well, of life. Our listeners will know this. We've talked about this on almost every podcast that somebody has a military background. And, you know, you graciously signed my military special Jack Daniels box that I share with guys that served. And the common denominator that almost everybody writes on the box or the bottle is don't quit or take the shot. That... I mean, and that is across multiple branches. That's not, like you said, it's not one or the other. That mentality is shared across the special forces as, as, a, as a family. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a very common denominator. It's, it's inescapable. And, and it's, it, when we say it, it, it's a little bit different, again, because it's not a, 
it's not an emotional type of throwaway. I'm mad at somebody. Oh, I never quit. I do whatever. It's like, no, you actually have had, you've been put in the position where you've not been allowed to quit and you know what it's like on the other side. And so you've either suffered through that and got on the other side or you're not really part of that group of guys. Yeah. And, and there's nothing. Here's the other thing. There's a lot of guys who make a hell of a lot more money than I do, uh, have done far greater things than I have. Um, there's also a piece of it. Um, there's a lot of guys out there. So here's another like misnomer. The, the idea of, well, you're in that group of guys, so you can beat up everyone. That couldn't be any more true. That's, that's the biggest load of crap in the world. Yes, you probably have certain attributes, but fundamentally, you're, it's less about being the toughest guy in the room and more about being the biggest survivor in the room. So there are certain things, um, and again, it's pretty universal to most guys in special operations. You have to be able to withstand coal, and I mean really withstand coal. Like you got to thrive in it. And if you can't thrive in cold, specifically cold water, you're probably not going to get very far. So there's, and there's a whole lot of other little bitty things, but it's more about the ability to persevere, never quit, always survive in the worst, survive and thrive in the worst circumstances. That's really what makes them different. Yeah. That's a, uh... I've seen some unique studies, too, from some of the stuff I read. And I think you and I talked about this a little bit when we were chatting at the last podcast. Um, that they're, they're finding that a lot of these guys that make it have, you know, pretty bad past, like as children and broken homes and stuff like that. It's like they, they've already put themselves through living through some of the worst situations where those guys, they that's innately where they get a lot of that quit because a lot of them they would rather die than quit yeah and that's kind of the, sh the shallow water blackout yeah. piece of the story that i'd equate to there's i think there's kind of two and i've i've seen some studies on this it's it's hard to pin it down the the, the services have done a socom has commissioned several studies on this and there's far more sophisticated ways to say it but there's fundamentally two groups there is um, what you just talked about, the kids who probably um, grew up relatively roughly, maybe broken homes, maybe some, yeah. unfortunately, some minor to major abuse could be in there. But it's, it's something that drives them. Yeah. Um, and it's usually the skinny kid. It's, the, it's not the, the, the guy you would think is, is that guy. Yeah. And the other is just flat out. There's there's um, there's kids that fall through the cracks. They should have been a NCA, you know, D one athlete in some sport. Maybe they changed midstream. They missed their recruiting window. They um, you know they just they they didn't grow like I, I didn't grow up around wrestling. Right. Wrestling wrestling's not a thing in Louisiana. Um, there is a tremendous number of wrestlers in both the recon community, the SEAL teams, and other special operations uh, yeah, units. jiu-jitsu and wrestling. Like. Well, specifically wrestling. Jiu-jitsu, of course, comes later on, but the, 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 the mentality that wrestlers have in that type of team high school sport where they're driven, you know, and, and it's, it's at a young age you learn. Probably the second thing I'd say after never quit is you've got to be comfortable with failing. 
uh, wrestlers are extremely comfortable at a young age of they've experienced failure, not as a team. That's not as a basketball team, not as a football team. Personal failure. They got pinned. They got taken down. They know what that feels like. And to lose, not for the team to lose, but for them to lose. And that's ingrained into them. And they, your top-level wrestlers, they, they run so far and so fast away from that, and that's how they become so great. Um, but it is, you know, failure is a big part. It's, it's being able to fail, fail fast, and recover, right? And it, it, it fits into kind of that special operations ethos. You're going to fail. <laughs> Just get ready for it, right? And you're, you're going to fail every stinking day because everything you do is hard. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's, it, yeah you get to call everybody by their first name. You're, the rank structure, for the most part, goes out the window, other than when you're in garrison. Um, but you're, you're doing hard stuff day in and day out. It is physically hard, but it's even mentally more challenging. So um, the, two, the two things, getting back to your original question, I'd say um, never quit in a, in a real sense. You've experienced what that feels like, and then fail learning how to deal with failure and looking at roadblocks is like a stepping stone i guess is part of that i mean that seems to be learning those lessons from the failures and not and not quitting when you're when that's your adversity yeah i mean roadblocks are are thrown in your way when you so you so you don't quit when those roadblocks are put there and then You've, you've got to accept at some point, you know, beyond the selection process, that you're, you're, you have to push yourself to failure constantly. Do you have an example of, like, maybe in the real world, non-special teams or maybe business where you saw something maybe initially as a roadblock, but then it was just an absolute learning lesson and it was a good stepping stone? Oh, geez. Um Every day, all the time. Um, I don't think I have gone to work one single day in my life where the, the clouds have parted, people have walked in with all the answers, and it's just been easy. I, I don't know what that's like. I've, I've, I've never experienced it. Maybe there's, um, maybe I'm the fool, but I've just never experienced a day where um, there hasn't been roadblocks, there hasn't been problems. I mean, a, a big part of special operations also is, by and large, uh, you're expected to lead, right? And that's also something very unique about the Marine Corps. It's something very unique about the American military experience. Um, I get frustrated with the Army because they don't drive this into their, their basic infantry units as much as they should. Um, but we do it far, 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 far more than any other military in the world. So the lowest private, the lowest lance corporal, they're all expected to lead. Now that may be one person, that may be in a um, in, um, kind of an ethereal sense mm -hmm. at that, that lower level, but everyone is expected to lead. And at the NCO level, our military is run by NCOs, period. There's not an officer uh, in the military today that would, would counter that comment, okay? Our officers are fantastic. They have, uh, they have a particular role, but our military is run by non-commissioned officers, corporals, sergeants, staff sergeants, on and on. 
And um, that makes us very unique. Uh, you see in the Ukraine right now, there's something like, mm, I think last count, 160 Russian generals that were dead. There is thousands of officers that are, have died, passed away, whatever. Um, and it's because they have to do the role of what our NCOs do. Because they're conscript armies. They won't lead on their own. They can't fight on their own. They can't think on their own. Part of the secret sauce of what makes the American military, and America for that matter, so amazing is that we're taught and leadership is pushed down to the lowest common denominator. Well, in the special operations community, you take that and you put it on steroids, right? Yeah. There's no one. I don't care if, if you're the lowest ranking individual. If you're a recon Marine, you're taking control. You're taking, uh, you're accountable for everything that's going on around you. And you make absolutely no excuses for when you fail. You accept it and you move forward. So that community in particular, that type of uh, leadership down to the lowest common denominator is... It's uh, it's inescapable. <clears throat> That's fascinating. I mean, what? So you touched on Ukraine. What? How do you look at what's going on currently in the Middle East and Ukraine, and the well, effect you think that's going to have back home? I look at this a little bit differently than the way the news media covers it. So, um. My time at the Pentagon, I, I ran our policy office for the Middle East. Um, and so you, from a policy perspective, you don't get real caught up in, you know, TTPs. Uh, you don't get into the, the tactical component of, of warfare. So when I look at what's going on and I look at, well, what was it? Was it October 6th or 7th, whenever the attack on the Israelis took place? Uh, around then, yeah. Yeah, I believe it was the, the 7th. Um, I could be wrong. I'm sure the people in the comments will correct me immediately. <clears throat> yeah, it, you're bound to. I mean, yeah. anything you say about any of this, you're going to get corrected or told otherwise. Well, so what, what, I, would t what I tell you, I just, I just look at it a little bit differently. Um, Hamas didn't wake up one morning and say, hmm. I feel like doing bad things in Israel. Like, that's not real. Their, yeah. their capacity at a strategic level is, well, it doesn't exist. Because their capacity at a strategic level is owned by the Iranians. Okay? So anything that Hamas does on any given day is funded, organized, and driven by Iran. Period. Full stop. End of conversation. There's nothing left to say about it. They are purely a proxy force at this point, as is Hezbollah. So... What concerns me is we have um, we have only so many battle carrier groups, roughly ten. Of that ten, five are up and running. We do a, a third, a third, and a third. Uh, training, refitting, or refitting, training, deployment. So if you have both the Gerald R. Ford uh, and um, I think it's Eisenhower in the med. You have two strike groups in the med. That's pretty heavy in the med. Um, you have two other strike groups, um, one and a half, two, depends on how you look at it. Um, depends on where they're at in their cycle. Supporting uh, the Ukrainians, not from a direct, um, obviously not from a direct standpoint, but right. from intelligence sharing, other, other ways that those strike groups can help. 
Um, you rapidly whittle down. So you have assets that are focused on Ukraine. You have assets that are focused on what's going on in the med. Uh, and then that leaves suspiciously little in the Pacific. We can't pretend away the fact that Russia, China, and Iran talk on a regular basis. No differently, identically, that we talk with Australia, the Brits. We coordinate military operations all the time. There's a group called the Five Eyes. Okay, these are the, the Five Eyes are an intel sharing agreement between five of our closest allies. Um, they have the same thing. I worry in the latter days of the Biden administration, which in my lifetime is probably next to Jimmy Carter, the weakest administration, again, in my lifetime. China has a plan. They've declared it. They can, they, it's, it's all in open source material you can yeah. Google. Um, I worry that there is a axis of evil to borrow from President Bush that is actively driving our attention away from the Pacific. Um, a significant number of our microprocessors, our integrated circuits, are built in Taiwan. That left the United States years and years ago. Every iPhone, every piece of technology that we run, and we're such a technologically heavy country, the vast majority are made in Taiwan. Uh, if China decides to cross the straits, we're tied up in two areas that uh, otherwise those assets could be deployed in China. So while I think uh, what happened in Israel was awful, I fully support their right to go in and clean house. Uh, from a bigger strategic standpoint, it concerns me how those assets are being allocated right now. Yeah, I think I'm also a little frustrated with the whole thing because, like, I think you said it very well at the beginning when you said it's not like Hamas just woke up and decided I'm going to do this. That war between those two has been going on for thousands of years. And it kind of bothers me that it can't be portrayed as like, both of you can be wrong and both of you can be right. It's the fact that there's not talking and we're going to this point again now that we're seeing war again. Which, there's always going to be wars that are being fought, but it's like you said, they didn't just wake up and this just all of a sudden happens the next day. No, they don't have the, they don't have that capability. Um, and I mean, it's, it's not like, um, this is, that's not my opinion. Mm -hmm. Hamas, the, the Gaza strip is surrounded. It's cordoned. Uh, there's, there, there's, there's, they do not have the capability, uh, to produce the military capacity to do anything against Israel. That is all courtesy of Iran, specifically the Quds Force and other um, uh, what we would consider special operations. Philosophically, they're terrorists, uh, but they support Hamas. They support Hezbollah. Uh, they fund everything they do. Without Iran, it, it, it's, it's a very direct line. It's not a dotted line. It's a very direct line. Um, yeah. Yeah. Real quick, I'll get this in because I'll forget if I don't. I don't want to steer too far off course. But everybody likes to know what we're drinking and what we're smoking. So 
you know, we're not at the cigar lounge. We're not at ICC tonight. We're at the top secret location, a.k.a. my backyard. <laughs> and ain't a secret anymore. That's all right. Because you've been pushing me for this for a long time, so we might as well spill the beans. Yeah. So what we're smoking, you're a big fan of the Padrones. Love them. So we've got here the anniversary series. We've each got a regular anniversary, and then we've got a Maduro wrapper. These are both phenomenal cigars. You can smoke them with what you're drinking, not drinking, whether it doesn't really matter the spirit. These go with about everything. So you're free game with these things, and they're excellent. These are uh, fantastic. Yeah, and they're, they're not super pricey. I mean, you can pick these up for around, I don't know, somewhere between $12, $15 a stick, something like that. They're, they're not super pricey. They're excellent quality. I've never grabbed one and had a draw issue or anything like that. They're, they're just solid, good go-tos. Then, as far as what we're drinking, right now, I think we both started with the Buffalo Trace. It's a single barrel. Um, we can't started, go wrong. Yeah, can't you go, can't go wrong, wrong with Buffalo Trace. Then uh, we brought down the Balvini because you also like scotch. And I'm newly into scotch. Oh. I'm, Oh, let's talk about I'm that. Not, I'm not a super scotch guy, although this sherry cask 18-year-old, like, this is phenomenal, and I'm really liking it. The reason and I don't want to get into this too much because I've talked about it a lot. I had a hard time discerning what I did and didn't like about scotch. My old man ruined that for me as a kid. But I had to learn that I didn't like peated scotches. And when I found out there was such a thing as a non-peated scotch, all right, game over. Well, like, I'm in on that now. Well, they all have a degree of peat to it. Right. right? But so so the, I, think, I think what you're hitting at, and I think you and I talked about this off camera, but what I like about Balvini is it's, it's just enough peat where you get that, that earthy flavor to it. Yeah. But it's not Talisker. It's right. not like Talisker, you stuck your head in the smoker. Yeah, Talisker's kind of like, you know, it's a legendary scotch. It's the scotch of all scotches. There's poems written about it. Yeah. But it's kind of like drinking a, a cigar and a leather couch at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a little much. Yeah. And uh, the whole thing, like, I, I literally, with a lot of those, I feel like I stuck my head inside the smoker, inhaled, and then drank some, like, really stale whiskey that just isn't good so yeah once i found that out i i'm rolling with some of the scotches now and then last but not least i brought this down for you to try just because i know you like cigars this is joseph magnus cigar blend have you ever had this i'm gonna try it tonight all right try it tonight this is one of my favorites like i i search for these as one of the few that i still buy regularly if i see it if i can find it so there you guys have it. Hit biz up in the comments. I don't have the laptop out tonight. I wasn't going to try to fit that in here. So y'all have questions about any of that, let us know. So back to the military and how that's affected your life. You've, in your journey so far, one of the key things, and it's something I know you're passionate about, and I really want to go down this road, is American-made. You talked about American Made being the reason you got back into firearms and you started Watchtower, bringing back an all-American Made gun so that all these, you know, the Brownings and everything else that you and the Colts that used to be big, major American names Love are it. no longer 
American made. That's why those old ones go for so much money too. Like, yeah, because it was American made. And I think bringing more stuff back to American soil and being made here is crucial for us in the next decade. And I think that's something you probably really resonate with. I mean, you even mentioned it with the distraction in the Pacific of, hey, all of our computer chips are made in Taiwan pretty much or over in Asia. So how do we get more people? Where do we find someone like yourself that is passionate about this stuff to like start getting this? I mean, like you went out. I mean, I've seen your board of directors on here. <laughs> Watchtower Firearms is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in my life. I mean, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. I mean, good God, that's an American hero. Like, We're kind of red, white, and blue. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, seeing stuff like that. And knowing how important that is to you, I mean, I know there's people like Jocko out there that started Origin and, you know, bringing back. I think that's super important. Um, What are your thoughts about that? And why is that such a passion for you? And what do you think it's going to take? And how do we get more of that happening here? Yeah, so uh, it is is a 100% passion for me. I I grew up in that environment. I, I, uh, and and, and by the way, I'm... um, I'm not a believer in um, – I'm not, I'm not the guy who sits around going, oh, this generation sucks and, you know, these millennials, they're terrible. And I distinctly remember when uh, I first got in the Marine Corps, we were the, we were the Pepsi generation. Uh, we were the, you know, these this Generation X kids, they're a bunch of clowns. They, they have no idea what's going on in the world. And I think every generation does that. I, yeah. I hold out a lot of hope for the millennials. Um, I, I, I think there was, you know, probably there was a Roman legionnaire sitting out somewhere in Galilee going, yeah, last generation, they're soft. I, I think that's pretty much been a normal thing. Um, so, but what, what really drove me to th- this moment was, I think there's something that's uniquely uh, unfortunate that's happened in the country. And it's a lot of this diversity inclusion um equity it's 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 a silly conversation unfortunately um that this administration has really grabbed hold of and and embraced and you know when my when my family came here in 1906 they were dirt 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 poor uh, my uh, my great great grandfather worked in the coal mines of West Virginia. At that point in time, they um, they had a company store, and people who are fans of history will understand this. You know, the company store was always overpriced to the point where the workers could never leave. They were all immigrants, and they were always indebted to the store. So they basically worked as indentured servants because that's the way the it was structured to keep them there. Um, that's part of our history. There's, there's, it's bad. There's good. There, there's, there, you know, there's people who came to America's at came to America as slaves. Horrible piece of American history, but it is what it is. And what I would prefer to do is celebrate people coming from those rather indentured servant uh, type of roles, slavery type of roles, to the amazing cornucopia of what makes America phenomenal. It's part of our secret sauce. We cut, we're literally like a Bud Light commercial. No, well, not anymore because they took a hard, <laughs> I was going to say, you got a weird, it. We'll go with Coors Light. We'll, we'll, my, my, 
we we are that shiny city on a hill that emerged from nothing, from you know the the streets of Chicago covered in horse dung, you know, to just awful, horrible existence where people pulled themselves up by their bootstraps under the worst of situations and it persevered to what we are now, which has surpassed Rome, right? We're all here as a multicultural society surpassing everyone on the globe who said, can't be done. It's impossible. I love that. I love the idea of American exceptionalism. I love the belief that you can take that multicultural society, blend it into something that is more powerful than the lessers of all of those components, and have this incredible nation that that is what we are today. So I, I'm taking a long way to no, answer please your do. question. I'm, take, I'm taking on a this. bit of a journey, but I have um, one of the other things you'll find, and I say this very tongue in cheek for the audience. So please comment, guys, in the comment sections. Take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. Um, The other thing you'll find with special operations, special operators, is we're, we're very uh, flexible morally. We, we, we're put in situations that are not always comfortable, and you've got to figure out the lesser of evils. That's just that's the nature of the business. Well, I think when you, when you look at um, making some of those lesser of evil choices... Um, you kind of get to a place where you look at you're looking for best outcomes okay Um, and I think our when you start going down the road of victimization of the D&I type of narrative it's very off-putting and it was the first time kind of in my my life where I, I literally said, I can't do this. I can't be a part of it. In the company that I worked for, I was a highly compensated executive at the second largest defense company in the world. And I just basically walked away from it. I said, I'm not going to be a part of this. I can't do it. It's, um, it feels icky. It just feels icky. So um, when I made that decision, I wanted to get back to that American exceptionalism idea I wanted to get back to those beliefs and ideas that I'd grown up with, that it helped me become a recon Marine, that it helped me get to the places that I got to in government. And so um, that's really what drove me into Watchtower. It's like bringing back the American dream. For me, it's, it's bringing back, and I, I don't like to say bringing back because it, it feels like, oh, you know, when I was a kid or I walked through the snow you know, barefoot, naked, yeah, up, uphill, uphill both backwards, ways. both ways. And, and it, I, I, I think that's a silly kind of conversation, too. Um, <clears throat> but we have, a, in this country, we have so much to be proud of. We have so much to be thankful for. And I loved firearms. I never really thought of it in the sense of, you know, today we have this very polarizing Second Amendment type of conversation. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. I grew up with the Sears Wishbook catalog and Bass Pro Shop catalog and had all this, you know, you see Colt and you'd see uh, Browning and Remington and all this yeah. stuff. And it was like, and it was merchandise and it just, it just 
Felt good. It was warm and fuzzy, kind of Christmassy stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and that that's gone. And what we have now is, you know, Remington has been in bankruptcy two or three times now. It's I don't even know if you can use they can use their own name anymore. I think it's Remco. I, I've lost the bubble. It's 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 been a mismanaged company for okay. for a long time. Uh, Browning Browning's owned by FN. It's a Belgian company. Colt Colt's owned by CZ. It's a Czech company. Um, Barrett the Barrett Light Fifty, something we we loved in the military. It's owned by the Australians. And you can just kind of walk down that list, and you're like, wait a minute. These are not American companies anymore. So you have European conglomerates. And by the way, the Europeans are not, they don't, most countries don't have a strong um, pro, what we would call Second Amendment posture. So they're making money off of selling to Americans, but those profits are going back home. You know, SIG, SIG's a German company. It's owned by LO Holdings in Germany. Period. Full stop in the conversation. So, you know, when you look at that, it, it kind of takes your breath away. You're like, wait a minute. All these titans of the firearms industry, they're gone. Mm-hmm. They don't exist. You know, there's very, Smith is still around. They've gone through some restructuring, they're, they're trying to get it together. You know, Daniel Defense is kind of an upstart, and they've done quite well. Good on them. Uh, but we don't have a lot of American household names anymore. So what I wanted to do is say, okay, we're now at a moment where American firearms, the guys who make them, they're incredibly high quality. They're the bespoke firearms. They're not the assembly line firearms anymore. And so when I started Watchtower, we started with an acquisition that was of a very bespoke, high, high quality uh, firearms company, which was F1. We acquired them. We rebranded them. Uh, we've retooled the factory to moving from just being an AR manufacturer to also being a uh, very high-end double-stack 1911 manufacturer. Uh, and then we're moving into bolt action. Uh, we have a couple more acquisitions lined up. And so... I want to bring that back. I want to give people who talk about pro-America, right? They have the American flag on the back of their truck, but then they have a Sig Sauer sticker, right? Or they have a Colt sticker. Well, if you're buying Colt, you're sending your money back to the Czech Republic. I'm I'm sorry. It it breaks my heart. I hate it. Yeah. But, you know. It's reality of what today is. It's a reality. So I I want those guys that have that American sticker on the back of their car along with that Marine Corps globe, Eagle Globe and Anchor or that Army emblem or whatever they have that, that they feel American pride. I want them to have an alternative. I want them to be able to say, not only am I buying an American product, but I'm buying the best product. We're not going to build Ferraris. This is the analogy I always use. If you want a Ferrari, um, you can go buy an Italian shotgun. God bless you. Those are great shotguns. Love it. Um, I'm not building Ferraris, but I am building Dodge Demon Hell, Dodge Demons and Hellcats and Cobra Shelbys. I'm going to buy, I'm building American muscle, and I'm building the highest quality American muscle in the firearms industry. And that's what we're setting out to do, and that's what we are doing. Absolutely. So, Any of y'all that haven't gone to his website, go check out Watchtower.com. Check out what those guys are doing over there. It's impressive. I'm telling you, you see the Apache, 
if you're a gun guy remotely, <laughs> you're going to want that gun. I, I'm just telling you right now. I've been wanting an, uh, an AR for a while, and I just keep. I was like, man, I could get like two ARs, or I could get the Apache. It's like, oh, so torn. <laughs> well, yeah. Let's talk about that because there will be some of your your viewers that will go on the website and they'll they'll take a look at it and they're like, oh my god, it's it's the Apache's you know it's thirty six hundred dollars. What you have to understand is the double stack 1911 market, there's, there's basically two pieces to it. There is, um, an, an, I'll, I'll just say an unnamed, unnamed company that they're marketing double stack 1911s that is, they're not hand fitted. They're purely production. Um, they're. Sorry, y'all. I just looked at it. Wow. Yeah, it's. Not bad, huh? Sorry, I'll business did red alert. <laughs> so, what you have to understand, and we'll, we'll, let's do it like a kind of a double stack nineteen eleven class. All right. So, traditionally, double stack nineteen elevens are very bespoke products. There's one or two companies out there that build them that are, uh, they're, they're hand-fitted. Ours are hand-fitted. They're uh, the highest quality you can, you can get. They tend to command about an $8,000 price point, anywhere from $6,000 to $8,000. Okay. Um, going back to my analogy, we're not building Ferraris. Those companies get out a very small number a year. They're very difficult to get. Any, the, the, the companies will promise them, but they'll never show up at the dealers. Uh, it takes a long time. You just have to wait for them. On the other extreme, you have a particular company in the country that's marketing a double stack 1911, but it is so incredibly not bespoke. It's, it's, it comes straight off the production line. It's very cheap, and that's what you're getting. Yeah, and, and and it kind of mirrors the rest of their products. And if you guys go in there and look at this, you're gonna see a gun that looks like John Wick would get a hard on looking at this gun. I mean, like <laughs> this gun is legit. Yeah, it is. I mean, even if you even just looking at it, it's like artwork. It's the flattest shooting pistol I've ever shot in my life. The, the our engineers did a phenomenal job with it. So. We're, we're, we're true to our word, and we're not building Ferraris. We're building Hellcats. Um, we are, we're taking basically what should be an $8,000 gun, and we're selling it for 3600 That's the price point. We are leaving money on the table. I'm the CEO of the company. I'm telling you, we're leaving money on the table, and I'm doing that intentionally. I want to put it in Americans' hands. I want blue-collar Americans that wish they could go buy an Atlas that yeah. wish they could go buy a staccato. Boys, you're getting that and then some at a lower price point. That's the reality. And this 1911, like, just looking at, like, good concealed carry? Not this one. Not no. this one. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't tell by the pictures. Like, I was like, it looks a little big. It looks more, I mean, it looked like it's just straight up set up for competition, almost. Yeah. But, God, it is a sexy gun. So, this is our first offering in the pistol space. Yeah. 
We make exceptional ARs, we, what we call type 15s or type 10s, um, which is a throwback to the, the type desk that used to be in the Pentagon. Everything we do is steeped in American history, including our serial numbers start with 1775. And I, I can get into all that in a second. But going, going back to the, uh, the pistol, this is our first offering. Yep. They're coming off the line right now. Uh, they're being PVD coated. We're getting our our first ones out the door as we speak. Um, we're running extra shifts to make sure we can get all of them out. Um, probably first part, and one other thing. These are all part of the PewView edition. So the first thousand are PewView edition. So Nick Johnson is taking these out. He's doing the advertising for it. His name's on it. Um, our next, our our, our long term Apache will probably be offered in both graphite and black. Um, it'll, it'll be, the serrations will be a little bit different. But I would expect, and the guys in the factory aren't going to like this, but probably February time frame, we're going to start moving into our concealed carrier, at least subcompact model. Yeah. And so we're going to have an everyday carry version of nice. the Apache coming. That's, that's in the works. Um We'll have a law enforcement version. That'll be coming out shortly. Um, and then we also have just a basic 1911 that I could release it right now. I just don't – I want to get as much focus on the Apache right now, and then we're going to – we're also going to have a basic just single-stack 1911. Yeah. Have. Awesome. And forgive me because I don't remember the other gentleman's name that's part of your company that you affiliate with. Like, I know you have the Robert O'Neill AR – that is super badass looking. And then you have another guy. We got a couple. So that uh, you have those on there. Maybe talk about those real quickly and kind of maybe what the difference is sure. between, between the two and the setups and stuff like that. Sure. So um, so we have a Robert. Robert. <laughs> we have Rob's. Uh, Robert J. O'Neill, um, gentleman who blew up Bin Laden's brains. Um, he has a very specific Type 15 that is a similar setup to, um, he always likes to say, it's a similar setup to what he had on the Abadabad raid, but it is um, it's also what he wished that he had had on the, the raid. Yeah. And then he also, we, he has his his signature on the side of it. it it's, yeah. it's a really nice, it's a really yeah, nice it's black AR-15. and red. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's pretty sweet. So that's Rob's. Um, then Nina, uh, Nina outdoors. She's another one of our brand ambassadors. She's taking out two rifles. Uh, we have what's called an HSP, uh, um, hunting special purpose H for hogs. That will be put out. Ooh, Ray's not going to like this. I'm a, but I'm a. <laughs> it's it's coming out in the next week or so. So that there's two variants of hers. It's basically a Type 10 or an AR-10 on steroids. Okay. Uh, this is a hog hunting machine. Uh, so that's coming out within the next week or two. Uh, raising a tizzy as I, he's watching this right now because he's got to get the marketing out for it. I hope so. Then he'll remember which podcast mine is. Uh huh. Yeah. I, I'm. I'm. I. I see my phone vibrating right over there. So, uh, so I'm getting, so he's going to be spinned up, spun up. Uh, let's see. So we got that out. Uh, then we have, um, 
Mark D'Ambrosio. Mark's a great American friend of mine. He's uh, also a former recon Marine. Okay. Uh, he's a scout sniper. And we have a specific – this probably won't come out the first quarter of next year. It is a um, precision rifle that just so happens to look like one of the sexiest sniper rifles, one of the sexiest bolt actions that you can imagine. I'd love to talk about it in depth, in technical terms, but I can't. And, and, here's, and here's the reason why. No different than the Apache – we're doing some things with Mark's, what will be known as the MSR, Mountain Sniper Rifle, that um, it's, there's nothing on the market like it. Um, and we're going to market it from a, also to a military I think customers. you've already earned our listeners enough trust and respect here that yeah. they're just excited hearing you say that, that it's so good you can't even talk about it yet. It's, there's some things we're going to do with this rifle that just, they just haven't been done. And, and when people see it, they're going to be like, holy crap, why didn't I think of that? It, it, it's it's pretty unique. Um, so, Mark, Nina, Nick, Rob, those are our four brand ambassadors right now. One of our, our board members, Alan West, also has done a, a limited edition rifle with us. Awesome. You can't, you can't, everyone loves Alan. He's impossible not to like. And everybody knows who he is. Yeah. I mean, he's for a great somebody American. that, isn't like podcasted and stuff like that. Like, well, he has his own podcast. I I know he does now, but I mean, for the longest time, like old generation, I mean, anybody that was around for desert storm or any of that type of stuff, like you remember that name, like you remember seeing his face on TV, my generation, you remember him from seeing him constantly on TV and stuff like that. The news, whatever. I think, I I think he's one of the most beloved Americans and I'm just honored to have him on our board. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a great American honor right there. So, yeah, so th- those are our brand ambassadors. Those are the, the various guns they're, they're taking out. Um, and all of them, they've all bought into the idea of what we're trying to do. And, and for those who maybe don't even know, I mean, it, it's funny. Um, you know, I'm a, uh, you know, I, I have a, I have a master's in international relations. I study religions. Um, but you went to like the, the Naval War College or whatever, or military war college as well. What's it called? I, mean, I know I'm butchering this right now. <laughs> Everybody else that's hardcore is like probably slaughter me in the comments on this no, right now. No, I, I doubt anyone cares. Uh, I went to I went to the National uh, Defense University, the Industrial College of the Armed Forces. There you go. It's now called the Eisenhower School. Woo, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, but so Watchtower, the name is derived from Operation Watchtower, which was the invasion of Guadalcanal, final resting place of 7,100 American souls, some of the fiercest fighting in the Pacific and the, the turning point in the Pacific. And that I wanted to honor. I, I didn't want to, you know, Remington, love Remington, love Samuel Colt. Love John Browning, but this is not about me. That's not yeah. what our company stands for. It's about a collective. You know, we've brought together a group of special operators and defense executives to build out that next great American firearms company. It's not about me. It's about bringing that back to America. And um, so everything we do is steeped in American history. But where I was where I was going with the Watchtower thing is, you know, I I I, I find. Inter- 
you know, global religion is very interesting. I like all that. I like to study that. And uh, I had no earthly idea because I don't get into some of the weirder stuff that Watchtower is like the publication for Jehovah's Witness. Oh, I didn't know that either. No, I didn't either. But it, it, I guarantee you there'll be somebody in the comments that is going to make a comment about I, I just it it was too weird for me to follow. I, I just didn't. I was the, I, everything we put out again. It's it's steeped in American history. Our namesake again, Operation Watchtower. Um, our new suppressor that will be released here. Our, our second generation suppressor is going to be called the Jedbird. Jedbirds were a combination of the uh, Office of Strategic Services. Uh, what was the precursor for the Green Berets during World okay. War II? along with the British version of it, they brought their best operators together, parachuting them behind. Like SAS Nod- type? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, they, but the precursors for the SAS. Okay. Um, they brought those two units together. They sent their very best operators to a place called Jedbird, Scotland, and that became the Jedbird teams. And their job was to jump in behind enemy lines in Nazi Germany and basically slit throats. I mean, there were some bad mama jamas. And um, so we dedicated our first suppressor to those guys. It's called the Jedbird. That's awesome, man. I love, I love your love for history because history is my favorite subject. And I love how you tie that all in with an all-American-made company, man. Like, that's, that's well, phenomenal to me. I, I love that you're paying homage to these things and, and doing all that within well, that. Well, thank you. Yeah, and then our second suppressor is going to be Geronimo. Nice. For God and country, Geronimo. That's so awesome. I love it. I love it. So, yeah, so I, I can go on about this all day, but, yeah, that's, that's but us. But American Made, I mean, as an owner of a big firearms company that is growing rapidly and doing a lot of big things, like, what challenges have you seen? What challenges would you want to put out there or what rumors or misbeliefs would you want to say to maybe if there's another Jason Koloski out there that is fed up with his job and wants to pull together an American-made company? I mean, because immediately you're going to hear in the comments, I know without even looking, that things are too expensive, the work ethic here, the, you know, finding good help, all these things that as a CEO are things you deal with and you you're doing it. You have an American made company that's producing products. So how do you see that? Do you, I mean, you have a lot of hope you said earlier in the generation coming up, like where are you seeing that? What's giving you that hope and what, what can you maybe, what rumors or misbeliefs can you dislodge maybe for somebody that would be considering that, that somebody that wants to, you know, maybe they want to be the next chip manufacturer and, and bring that back to the U.S. Yeah. Well, because of the Jones Act, shipbuilding, at least for the, the Navy, is here, and it won't ever go anyplace else. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, I, I, I'd say a couple of things. Um, starting your own business is every bit as hard as anyone tells you it's going to be. Absolutely. Um, probably harder. Um in the final analysis, it's all about leadership and knowing yourself. So, the, 
certain American leadership in this next century will be more important than ever in the history of the world. Um, and I would challenge anyone who believes they have something to offer to this country to step up. Now, if, if that's an 18-year-old who wants to join the Marine Corps or the Army or the Navy or the Air Force, or I guess the Space Force now, um, go do that. Um, we're, we're, we're that shining city on the top of a hill. We are an exceptional place. But, you know, Reagan, Reagan said it best when he said, you know, we're, we're only one generation away from losing all of that. I think the quote was actually, we're only one generation away from losing freedom. But it, it, it applies in a business context. It applies in a military context. It applies in any context. So if you sit back and just go, oh, you know, people are hard to deal with. You know, this generation sucks. Um, it's hard. Well, then leadership's probably not your thing. And you're probably not cut out to lead in whatever area of the world uh, or whatever walk of life you're interested in. But for those people who do believe in American exceptionalism, that do believe in what this experiment is, pick up that mantle that your fathers, your mothers, your grandparents laid out for you, and it's going to be hard. You're going to shallow water blackout. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. And get the fuck over it. You're going to fail. But as did your fathers and mothers, as did your grandparents, as did your great-grandparents. We didn't magically show up here. We're not like Hamas. Nobody's funding us. We're doing this in real time. So if, um, you know, this gen the millennials are no worse or no better than anything else uh, or anyone else. Take the time to understand how to lead men and women, understand how to lead, understand how to manage, understand that sometimes it's ugly, sometimes it's awkward, sometimes the people that you count on the most will fail you, um, and lace up your shoes and put one foot in front of the other and go back and do the things that are hard. If you don't do things that are hard, then you may as well be Hamas. You may as well sit there and feel sorry for yourself and teach D&I classes. Like, that's easy. Being a victim and sitting back and, oh, you know, these millennials, they're hard to manage. They don't show up on time. Okay, well, then those that don't show up on time, have those conversations. Sit down with them. Explain what you're trying to do. Explain how they're part of the deal. Explain how they're part of the business or part of whatever activity you're doing. Get their, get their buy-in. Help them, help develop them in a way that somebody developed you at some part in t point in time. My, um, you know, both my parents are alive. They'll probably watch this podcast. My, awesome. up my upbringing was not, you know, it wasn't a bed of roses. Um, my parents were hard on me. And uh, a lot of people that were childhood friends would say that's an understatement. They were very hard on me. Um, their parents were hard on them. And not all parents are that way. Some parents take an easy road. 
and it's later in life that you have an opportunity to make a difference in some young man or some young woman's life. Do the things that are hard. And so if you have a vision that you want to bring something back to America, if you want to grow something, you want to build something, bring in the group of people that you're going to work with, that you're going to help shape and work with them. Spend that extra time. <clears throat> go the extra mile. Do the things that are hard. I, I just, I, you hear it's, it, it's cliche-ish, but in practice, that's, what, that's how you get Dana White's. That's how you get Elon Musk. That's how you get Bill Gates. That's how you get Steve Jobs. Do the things that are hard. I mean, I would challenge anyone out there that's watching your podcast, especially uh, younger folks. You're, you're never going to be exceptional. You're never going to rise to the level of what is expected of you as an American and the ideas of American exceptionalism by doing what is easy. Yeah. That's what, that's what Europe does. Europe looks backwards. When you think about Europe, <coughs> Europe mm, and you think about a, a number of our allies and partners, when you think about France or Germany, where do they come from? Kind of the midst of history. We, they're, they're tribal. They kind of come together. Yeah. Um, where, do, where do we come from? 1775. It's on a date, right? We know where we come from. We know the moment. We didn't, we're not looking fall, we're not looking backwards. We're not talking about French history. We're not talking about Germanic history. We're talking about what's next. Never in, in our history have you ever heard Americans talk about what's behind us. We like it. I, I, I you know, my guns, yeah. are, my serialized 1775. But fundamentally, we always look what's next. That's what makes us so different. And I would encourage anyone to think about um, business the military, what they're going to do next in life in those terms. The most American thing you can do is figure out what's next and what's in front of you, not what's behind you. Very simple. <clears throat> Absolutely. Maybe, maybe expand on this a little bit for us because you've kind of hinted at and you've talked about it too with your company of surrounding yourself with the people that you need to get the job done. And you've surrounded yourself with great people. Oh, yeah. And you've brought in I'm all the, the I'm the weakest link in my company. Let me be very clear. CEO everyone, right there telling you that. Everyone around me is stronger than I am. With, there's, there's not an exception to that statement. And, and I don't feel like, I mean, I could be wrong on some of these. I mean, obviously, you've met some of these people throughout your various jobs and your career. But you've obviously led by example. You've been a great leader at the things you've taken on <clears throat> here there but you've still always put that team around you how instrumental has that been and what advice would you give to people about putting those type of people around you and surrounding yourself with those type of individuals and how influential has that been on your life oh, extremely um, so I always use this analogy. It's simple. I, I think the, the, the more simple you can make things, the easier it is for people to understand you. So anyone who's interested in, it, it doesn't have to be firearms. It could be anything. Uh, you want to be an entrepreneur. Um, I, I haven't, I, you know, and this is, again, I, Ray will be in the comments uh, when I make this comment. I haven't been to the gym in a while. <laughs> But 
when I went to the gym on a regular basis, um, I never lift it with anybody weaker than me. I only lift it with people stronger than me. Why? Because I want to be stronger. And so surround yourself with people that are stronger than you. In the special operations community, we don't have a lot of people. As a recon marine, you deploy with it, a direct action mission is a little bit different, but on a regular green side of the house, um, you're working with five or six people. And I, I would rather have been with those five or six people than a battalion or a regiment of other Marines, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Because those five or six guys around me were so much stronger than any other body, anyone else in the military at that point in time. So it's an analogy, but I'd say it carries in the business world. Kind of goes with those failures you're talking about. You guys had failed together, so you knew what their failure level was and where they were at. You always you didn't you never had to worry about that. And those strengths overlapped and complemented to make you such an incredibly tight and strong operating unit. Um, the same is true in business. There, there is there's very very little different. At least at least from a kind of an ethereal standpoint, um, you've got to surround yourself with people who are better than you are. My CFO, <laughs> the, the guy is. Um, if you're going to go to war in the financial world. He's the guy you want right next to you. My chief growth officer, uh, he would throw himself on a, on a hand grenade as opposed to fail. Um, doesn't mean my CFO doesn't have hard times. Doesn't mean my chief growth, growth officer doesn't deal with adversity, especially in this economy. We've had a major downturn in the firearms industry post the, 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 the high levels of sales during COVID and during the, yeah. the, the election. But – yeah, my chief growth officer would throw himself on a grenade before he'd quit. Um, same with my chief marketing officer, who we've talked plenty about. Ray Cash Care would rather die than fail when it comes to making sure that we get our message out, and that's what I love about him. Uh, same is true of my chief operations officer. Everyone I surround myself with is so much better at their particular job than I could ever hope about, ever hope to be. What I have is the audacity and the balls to sack up and say, we're going to go do this and sell people on the vision, raise the money, and then execute. And that's it. it it's, it's, it's not any more complicated than that. That's fascinating, too, because, I mean, you, you've brought guys that – that's a hard thing to live up to to a certain degree – a leader of those types of men too. Cause I mean, you're surrounding yourself and expected to lead guys that have been led by some of the greatest men that have walked this earth at one point or another. So, oh, yeah. I mean, how, how do you, has that ever crossed your mind or how, how have you looked at that of leading, even though it's a different venture, you know, you take special ops out of it as much as we can, but for purpose of conversation, I mean, you you got guys you work with from recon to, I mean, and you've done this throughout your career, whether it's been Raytheon, the Pentagon, the White House, what, whatever, wherever you've worked, yeah. you, you've had to do that with those different people. Oh, hold on. Oh, you, we're we're going to make we're, you try we this switch one gears? first. We're okay. going to let you try this one first. Okay. <clears throat> I don't. 
Joseph but, Magnus? Yep, Joseph Magnus. Okay, I want to get it in for the audience, make sure they yeah, know what we're doing. Yeah, cigar blend. Okay, bourbon? Yep. Okay. I don't know which batch that is off the top of my head, but well, it's given, a good one. Given what you have upstairs, it must be one of the best batches Shh, ever. We already disclosed the secret oh, location. Sh- shit, sorry, my bad. Okay. But you've had the leaders... You've had to lead, I mean, exceptional men that have been led by great people mm-hmm. and great other, other great leaders. So has that crossed your mind? Do you ever think about that? Or does that not cross your mind? Because you're, you're giving leadership, or how have you looked at leadership, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. When yeah. you're leading such great men, because all you do is surround yourself with greater men. Yeah. I look at it a little bit from when I was younger and I was managing departments and everybody was 10 to 15 years older than me. And I mean, I got asked that in questions when I was being interviewed of how are you going to get them to respect you when, you know, they've been doing this since you were in diapers or, you know, whatever the case may be. Well, so I- I think everybody's journey is different. I think everybody has a different way of getting to the the, the role they're, they're, they're playing, whether, whether it's with the company, whether it's in government, whether it's in the military. And um, there, there's no false modesty here whatsoever. I've, I have been blessed, truly blessed, to have worked with some of the greatest leaders of the modern era. Uh, there's just no getting around it. Um, you know, my, my original team leader, uh, when I was in, uh, recon was a guy by the name of Chad Ramsey, retired master guns, Ramsey. He was a retired as an E nine, um, phenomenal leader, incredibly thoughtful, uh, incredibly caring about his guys. Uh, I've watched him fail. I've watched him succeed. And so my foundation was incredibly strong just coming out of the military. Um, Moving into government, I I worked for several three-star admirals. Um, The the role I played was pretty much their pit bull. And so um, I have probably 50% of all admirals that love me, and I have 50% of all admirals that despise me as a result. But I learned a lot from that process. Um, when I when I became a senior civilian at the Pentagon, you know, I, I worked for Bob Gates. Um, I got to see how he operated and how he thought about things. Uh, I worked for a, um, a lady by the name of Michelle Flournoy, who was the undersecretary for policy, basically a four or five star equivalent, depending on how you view the world. Um, the third most senior position in the Pentagon. Um, one of the most um, phenomenal leaders I'd ever been around. Um, you, you meet stars. You meet, and I'm not. I'm, I'm not a big fan of of the uh, <coughs> the Hollywood scene at all. I, I just, yeah. I genuinely do not like it. But there is a. I only make the comment because people talk about like the it factor, and they usually talk about it in terms of musicians or actors and. Michelle Flournoy is one of those people who has that it factor. Um, just phenomenal. Um, 
I work for Chuck Hagel. I work for Leon Panetta. So I, I've got to see leadership at the most senior levels of our government. Um, I interacted with our CEO at Raytheon, Tom Kennedy, for a, a number of years. Phenomenal leader. Uh, so I've had a, I've been blessed with seeing what leadership looks like at the deck plate levels, when when the rubber meets the road, and I've got to interact on a daily, if not hourly, basis with some of our nation's greatest leaders uh, from a corporate and governmental level. So I'm not particularly intimidated um, or concerned or... uh, Well, what advice could you give somebody that finds themselves... Let's just take it as your average Joe person that has started building a circle, you know, of people that are greater than them at whatever given things for what they're putting together. What advice would you give them to being a good, effective, or a better leader in that situation? Yeah. Well, so leadership is not technical expertise. So leadership is first and foremost, you know, I, I go back to the basics. Um, there's all kind of books written, lots of Harvard review, this, that, and the other. But fundamentally, it's mission accomplishment and caring about your people. If you do those two things, you're, you're an effective leader. You get the mission done at all costs, and you take care of your people. Um, beyond that, there's all different types of shades of gray. There's there's all kind of neat buzzwords. I can, yeah. I, I, I can get into all of that. You know, I can Ray get, can maybe comment a few of those for us. Ray is a buzzword master. Um, I can give you all the Harvard Business Review stuff all day long. Um, but in, in its purest sense, if, if you're going to lead people, you do not and should not be the technical expert. If you are, then you should go be the technical expert. Yeah. Right? Uh, I'm not. I'm not that guy. Um, but you've got to be driven enough and you've got to drive your people hard enough without breaking them to get the mission accomplished. Because if a mission is worthwhile, it's probably going to be hard. And so you've got to understand the difference between pushing somebody to the breaking point and pushing some and holding people accountable. So that that's, let me talk about that for a second. So there's a lot of folks out there that um, everything's fine and dandy until you actually have to do something. And then you have one of your troops, one of your, one of your folks that doesn't get it done. We well, have to hold them accountable. You have to say it. You can't shy away from that. That's uncomfortable. That's leadership. Now, they may not like it. They may not look at it as leadership. They may think, geez, Jason's mean. I don't, I, I'm a big fan of Quinn um, was the, the chairman um, he was interviewed and he talked about uh, an inter- uh, a reporter asking me, you must really rip into people. He said, I've never raised my voice a single day in the military. He went from being a private to a four-star general. Never raised his voice an entire time. And that's true. But what he did and what other leaders do as a matter of course is you have to hold people accountable. There's lots of, even the, even the best, and I'm not the best, but there's moments where somebody mm-hmm. will Say, Jason, this didn't happen. And I'm going to tell you all the reasons why it didn't. Irrelevant. Your job's to get it done. And you have to hold people accountable. That's uncomfortable. That's something leaders have to do. 
that's mission accomplishment. That's business accomplishment. Um, but you also got to care about people. If you don't care about the people you're bringing along with you, then you're not a leader. You shouldn't be a leader. We have lots, we have lots and lots and lots of toxic leaders out there. All they get right is the first part. They will make money at any cost, and eventually it catches up with you, either from a business standpoint because everyone is going to leave your organization and you're constantly going to have to bring in new people and you just won't be successful. You'll, you'll mortgage today for tomorrow, or you care about your people. When you care about your people, they're going to stand by your side. They're going to want to perform even more. They're going to understand the difference between being abusive and holding them accountable. And you're going to have a successful business. You're going to have a successful career in the military. You're going to have a successful career in the government. Those are the two elements. It's simple. It's short. It's sweet. Again, you can Harvard Business Review it all day, but that's what it's about. Absolutely, man. I think that's <clears throat> great advice. Because, you know, uh, the show is called Common Sense. So there's just so many things you can go into because we all sit around and say, God, you know, they just had some common sense. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it, and that can apply to anything. And, you know, my whole goal with this show was to get individuals like yourself and just have these conversations that you, know, you and I have smoking a cigar in the lounge and we're talking about these things. Cause you know, we're obviously not sitting down like this and talking about it this in depth on multiple subjects, but we'll sit down and, you know, maybe you had something that was really hammering on you that day. And we just start talking about it. And, you know, it's just like clear in the air, having somebody else to listen to it, run an idea by somebody. And maybe they have some advice. It's like, doesn't seem real practical for that situation, but it's advice or a lesson learned from another endeavor or failure that then turns into an aha moment where you're like, Oh man, if I'd only looked at it that way. So I appreciate well, you sharing all that. And like, and I love the name and I love the concept, right? Yeah, Thanks man. So, so it, it, it is common sense and, and it's a throwaway term to a lot of people. If, oh, if they just would have used common sense. Sometimes when people say that it's, it's a um, it's an excuse. Yeah, it, it, which it, it's code for if you just would have looked at it my way. That's not common sense. Mm-mm. Common sense to me is it, keeping things simple, because usually you know all things being equal, the the, the most common sense answer, the mm. simplest answer, is the truth. It's the reality that we operate in. When you start moving into areas and you start making it hard and you start you know my 25 rules for success. That's utter bullshit, right? There's no 25 rules for success. There's hard work. There's surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you. And there's hard work. It's hard. It, you know, we, we have a saying, and I, I, I've been using it a lot at Watchtower. If this was easy, everybody would be in recon. <laughs> I can only imagine the comments that come flying back with that one. Well, it only comes from one person, but that's yeah, okay. Yeah, it trans- one maybe it tra- two. It translates the same way, and we, you know, if it was easy, everybody would be in the SEAL teams. If it was easy, everybody would be in recon. But you know what? If it, w- I can tell you, there's a lot of SEALs and recon Marines that cannot run a business to save their lives. They shouldn't do it. They shouldn't attempt it. They are they are badasses. They can drown and freeze better than anyone else. And if you need them in a sh- in a room to 
take out bad people, they're your guys. But they probably yeah. shouldn't be running a business. If it was easy, everyone would run a business. Right? Yeah. And so that, that's a different group of people with a different skill set. And um, there's nothing, I, again, I have not encountered it, um, but I've never found anything worthwhile doing that's easy. I just haven't. And that goes for marriage. That goes for anything. Yeah. I mean, so many of these things. That's why I, I love sitting down with anybody that has a military background just because so many of these things that people struggle with are so ingrained with them. And the different stories just let you see it a little bit differently each time with a different light on it. Because <clears throat> I, think, I think common sense... We all had a whole lot of it when we were little because we were carefree. Most of us had, you know, you, you look at it, you, you want to be fit. Like, well, when did we stop just doing simple things like push-ups and jumping jacks and sit-ups? Like, you used to have to do that for PE every day. But then you saw the kid that, like, really loved doing that or, like, stayed with that or was super involved in multiple sports where they kept doing that. A Herschel Walker that, you know, didn't really lift weights but did – thousands of push-ups and sit-ups and stuff like that that didn't take a lot but doing the hard work sucks it's not fun getting up every morning and making yourself do x amount of push-ups even if you're not going to the gym there's mornings you don't feel like doing it but the more disciplined you can be where you you set that goal of what you want to accomplish you figure out the things that it's going to take to accomplish it then you got to have the discipline to do it whether it's great, it sucks, or not. And then the last part is just not quitting on that. Right. Like, not quitting, like, through any of that. Yeah. Eventually, it might not happen on your timeline, but sooner or later, you're going to start getting there. You're going to keep inching your way there, no matter what that is, whether that's losing weight, starting a business, getting your health in check, making your bed, you know, whatever, the more you can do those four things consistently, the more of an expert you're going to become on that and exceed or accomplish your goals. Couldn't agree more. And I just, I think we get lost in that a lot of times. Like it, it can be so simple, but we come up with all these reasons not to, or why it's too hard or not attainable. There, there's just there's we put so many roadblocks in front of ourselves absolutely and 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 sometimes you're your worst enemy right so you to your point you you create roadblocks you know i you know geez i grew up in moss bluff louisiana in a swamp like what do i really I have clean to, toilets i clean toilets i mean how could i ever you know run the middle east at the pentagon or how could I ever run a $2.7 billion business unit at a major defense company? How could I ever, like, I mean, it, it when yeah. it, it, it's very <clears throat> self-defeating. And that's going back to the, the un-American ideals that are being proffered right now when you talk about this um, – diversity inclusion ex exception whatever whatever it stands for when you start walking down that victimization path it's very reinforcing you know 
I, I like the idea of it. And, and, and again, I, I can hold two ideas. I can try and understand. I can listen to understand. I understand the idea of there are people that are disadvantaged and we want them to do better. Fuck yeah, we do. I want everyone to do better. I want everyone in this country to live the American dream. I want that with every fiber of my being. However, there is a narrative, there is a philosophy that if you buy into the need for other people to help you out, when you're getting ready to shallow water blackout, if you buy into that, and you don't go through with the hard times, if you don't go through with pulling yourself up from the muck, then how are you going to lead people in the future? How are you going to hold other people accountable when you couldn't hold yourself accountable? Yeah. Right? So, yeah, look, this is the greatest country. This is the greatest people. Skin color, religion, whatever, that's all. That's that's useless and old thinking. This is the greatest country and people that has ever existed in the history of our world. And to give in to these uh, this woke ideology, like I don't want to be a part of it. I want to be the polar opposite of it. I want to be the anecdote. The anecdote to it, um, and th- and that's what we're doing. That's that's my little piece of that is Watchtower Firearms. It's bringing that pride, that prestige, that um, that American exceptionalism back to our country in one small industry. And I would encourage anyone else to do the exact same thing. Get out there and, and, and live up to what our forefathers expected us to do. That's awesome, man. I don't think you could have said that any better. <clears throat> Let's dive into just for a little bit here. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I think it's important. How do you feel about all the attacks on the amendments right now? I mean, let's let's just stick to one and two, because I think those are the two we're probably both the most passionate about. Yep. And how you see that playing out with the upcoming election and everything else. Well, um, and I'll, and I'll lose my, my train of thought so you can bring me back to the first question, oh, which yeah. is how do you feel about one and two? Uh, look, I, the, the thing I didn't tell you is um, while I grew up in small town Louisiana, my mother was a, 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 uh, a campaign manager. So mm-hmm. I've been around politics my entire life. Um, I, I've lived for the past 25 years in D.C. I'm a creature of the swamp. Mm-hmm. I went from one swamp, swamp in Louisiana to another swamp in D.C., Prepared you for the other swamp. Yeah, okay. One was a lot muckier and dirtier than the other, I'd imagine. I would prefer the gators and moccasins all day long. Um, <laughs> I look at politics through a very um, pessimistic is not the right word, but a very uh, calculated lens. Um, so I, I think it's almost useless to talk about the elections in the sense of the current administration when they when we truly kick off the election cycle will run deep into their base that's politics 101 you 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 have to submit the base that's how we you win elections 
There's there's appealing to the base. Um, there is the money that's involved to bringing the 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 vast majority of the country that it's kind of in the middle. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a very calculated type of play. Um, the candidates are actually what's what's ironic is the people who run the campaigns. It's all it's very mathematical. It's very formulaic. Um, the the biggest problem in elections are the candidates because it just, all it takes is one oopsie when they go off messaging and then a big chunk of voters move to one side or the other because unfortunately and as, as big as a thump my chest all American kind of guy that I am the reality is Americans do not look at resume they don't interview a president like they would be interviewing a candidate for a job um they don't take the time to kind of go through that. It's very Jerry Springer esque. It's very sound bitey. So I, I'm I'm um, from a political standpoint, I'm 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 a bit of a pessimist. It's one of the few areas in my life I am a pessimist. All that said, Second Amendment issues are advanced citizenship. Period. End of conversation. That's what it is. Uh, the founders. I think it's kind of funny when, when people are like, well, the founders didn't mean X. <laughs> um, they, they really meant it. They only really meant for people to have muskets. And I guess that's an interesting take. Um, what the founders had is thousands of years of, of, of Western civilization dating back to the Roman Empire that Jefferson, Adams, Washington, Franklin wrote about, understood, uh, delved deeply into. And they were very clear that the Second Amendment was a fail-safe. It was a fail-safe against a tyrannical government. There's Being a student of history, having a master's degree in it, having well, actually, two counting the War College stuff, Look, you can't get away from it. The Second Amendment was not about hunting. It was not about fishing. It was not, not about any of that crap. It was about stopping. A, it was a final fail-safe against a tyrannical government. There is all kind of spurious uh, conversations about, well, it was really meant for a National Guard. We literally... So, so if you're a student of history, then you know that the National... the the laws that were put in place in the early 17, 1800s, that we, we have things that address the National Guard. The Second Amendment doesn't have dog shit to do with the National Guard. There's actual um, laws on the books about that. And you can go back to the founding of the country. It had nothing to do with it. It's purely about protecting all of our other freedoms. So, um, and, and again... We, you watch these interviews, and I'm, I'm rambling a little bit. I apologize. You're good. You, you, you watch these interviews like with John Stewart. Yeah. Where he picks on the congressman that wasn't particularly prepped that week. And he d- goes about an inch deep into history. Well, it, it, it's, it's a silly notion. Um, there is, and I, I talked about this in one of the other podcasts, and I... I misspoke a little bit. I talked about the Elliot dialogues, and you guys—you guys, I was gonna ask you you about guys that. gave me too much um, 
bourbon. <laughs> it's the Elliott debates. Debates. I, debates. I, I, I'm I, glad you said because I was going to ask you about that because yeah. it's something I want to go look yeah. up because I saw you mention that. I misspoke. <clears throat> uh, it's the Elliott debates. And I'm, I'm glad I get a chance because I think some of your listeners are some of the yeah, same. Yeah, we'll have a little crossover there. Yeah, we'll have a little crossover. Um, but Google Elliott debates. And what you're going to find is a, a, um, a culmination, a, a, a group of after the, um, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights was set in place, they had to go to each of the states and they had debated in their, their House of Representatives. In particular, one of them was in the House of Burgesses uh, in the Virginia State House, where Madison and George Mason went back and forth and back and forth. And they used the words, the people and the militia, and I've lost, I've lost track. It was 60, 70 times interchangeably. They were using the words interchangeably. You can see it yourself. You don't have to rely on some far right or far left interpretation. It's right there for you to read. So the word militia, the word people are interchangeably. It has nothing to do with the National Guard whatsoever. So I'd encourage Google Elliott Debates. Go back and look, and you can see the actual text of Madison and Jefferson. One was much more about the... Um, the Federalist position, which was a strong constitution. Everything we need is in the Constitution. That was Madison. Ironically, he's the one who entered the Bill of Rights into legislation, but that's neither here nor there. Mason was much more of on the anti-Federalist side of the fence, which was the Constitution gives far too, more, too much power to the government, so we have to have the Bill of Rights. So they would debate it back and forth. Ultimately, what happened was Mace, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Madison became the, um, the, the, the gentleman who brought forth the Bill of Rights because it was getting so much pushback in all these different houses of House of Representatives across the, the 13 colonies. Yeah. And it went through various, um, various edits. When the Second Amendment went through these edits, the number one reason that it doesn't read um, the people have the right to bear arms, period, full stop, end of conversation, was an issue we no longer have. At that particular point in time, um, there was a, a very heavy Quaker, Puritan slant in the country that did two things. One, it said... Well, if you're religious, you should be exempt from any type of military service or exempt in any sense of having to fight for the country and that you could proffer up an indentured servant, a slave, somebody who owed you gambling money. Pick a reason. doesn't matter. The rich folk could basically say, I got this poor person who will stand in for me. So they were trying to get rid of that narrative. They were trying to cut that out. That's why you have a prefatory clause and an operative clause. Again, you don't need to take my word. This is all Googleable. This is all <laughs> in books. It's all there. It just takes you more than a John Stewart microcosm of history because you beat up on a congressman that knows less than you. So, um, yeah, I'm a big, strong supporter of the Second Amendment. It's a fail-safe whatever our police forces should have, whatever our military should have, is what the people should have. Period. That's what the founders meant. That's why it's there. There's no exceptions. 
you can try and conflate school shootings and all kind of other nonsense all day long. Those are different issues. Those are mental health issues. Those are mental health issues that we should address. But the second is is there for a reason. And I caught you mid-iPhone. Sorry. That's all right. I was just trying to kill the extra noise in the background since it kicked on. So <laughs> I, didn't want to, I didn't want it to take away from what you were saying and, and anybody missed that. And the First Amendment, I mean... Yeah, it's, it's weird, right? Mm-hmm. So the First Amendment's under attacks in ways that we haven't seen in, 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 in at least my lifetime. And yeah. I always, you know, growing up... Um, and, and, and I'm also, I, I also find myself very right of center, but not extreme right. Now, everybody just heard me talk about the Second Amendment. I'm automatically MAGA or whatever. And if that's, what you, if that's how you want to characterize that, I really don't care. Um, but I'm a student of history. And the, the first has always been very much a, a left of center issue. So it's, it, we're in some strange territory now, right? So you have people on the right defending the, the first. And... Uh, we've, we've, we found ourselves at this place where big tech, much like big pharma, wants to control the, uh, the public square of ideas. And it's, it's a little off-putting. It's a little, con- excuse me, it's a little concerning. Um, you know, there's, we've, we've kind of, I think there's kind of a, we've come up with these ideas of hate crimes because crime in and of itself is not bad enough. Um, and that's somehow morphed into hate speech, which is now morphed into, you said something mean to me on Twitter. Yeah. Um, look, I, I think people should be polite. I used, to get, I used to get spankings for not saying yes, sir, yes, ma'am. God forbid I was rude to anybody outside of my house. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I, I would get the crap beat out of me for, you know, not being polite and having, being well-mannered. So I understand you, you shouldn't be mean to people. But I'm, as an adult, I'm also not so sure that um, it's a good thing to stop free speech and the, the idea of different people's opinions. Again, that's what makes us unique. That's what makes us great. Um, America's a melting pot. Uh, those ideas are not pleasant all the time. Those different thought processes. Look, um, African-Americans brought blues to this country. Now, lots of people want to argue, you know, you know Elvis or Chuck Berry. I'm, I'm on the Chuck Berry side of the fence. Um, there's so much that's been brought. You know, the Irish brought certain things. The... The, the Slavs brought It's a melting things. pot. It's a melting pot, guys. And along with those different cultures come different ideas and different opinions. And they should all be heard. Now, no, no one should be threatened. No one should be uh, put in legal in extremis. But out of, outside of that, if somebody's mean to me, well, okay. That's, I, I truly don't care. Yeah. I certainly don't need uh, the former Twitter group you know, God bless Elon Musk. That's no longer happening. But I, I certainly don't need Facebook policing that. I yeah. don't, Mark Zuckerberg is not my moral compass. I, that's yeah. just not my thing. How do, how do you feel about border control and the immigration stuff? I mean, as a family that came over as an immigrant, 
I mean, I personally just think it should be really easy to secure our borders and at the same time make it easier for people that want to immigrate the right way to do so and it not take four, six, seven years uh, as long as you're willing to you know, pay your taxes, pass a background check, you know, provide certain information, then why, why does this take us an arm and a leg to ever get done? That's my personal opinion, but I'd be interested to see what your current thoughts on all that are. Being that we're here in Texas and you're a lot closer down there in Houston, too, to the nitty-gritty. Well, practically, it's probably one of the... So, practically, it is a real serious um, issue. This administration has tried to pretend it away. It is a very, very real issue. Um, and it affects all of us. Uh, the big city mayors are now coming to grips with it, courtesy of our governor. Uh, and, yeah. and before they were, oh, bring as many illegal aliens as possible, sanctuary cities. And now you see you know, the mayor of New York, uh, mayor of Chicago, all crying uncle. We've done our part. Um, so it, I think it's, it's hard to debate any longer that it's a real issue. Philosophically, it is potentially or possibly the stupidest fucking issue in government. Uh, at various administrations, we've had three to four consecutive administrations that have taken the opposing and opposite position. Uh, the, uh, they've literally taken polar <coughs> opposite positions at different points in times over the last three to four administrations. Listen, um, People need, we need to secure our borders for a whole range of issues that have nothing to do with bring me your tired, your huddled masses. If you want to come to America and you want to pay your taxes and you want to excel and you want to live the American dream, whether that is you do it the moment you show up, Akeem Olajuwon, or pick the, 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 the Hispanic immigrant that's come across the border two or three generations ago and now is a Fortune 500 CEO, you know, because their family has worked hard and they've moved through the process. Man, I'm, I'm so on board with that. I want those yeah. people. There's so many people that don't want to be here, and they can hit the road. I love our immigrants. What I don't like from a, a national security standpoint is we don't know what's coming across the border. Yeah. That bothers me. I don't like paying wages and those wages leaving the country and going someplace else. If this is where I elevate both my belief and myself as an American and not as a Republican or Democrat, this is an easily solved problem. It just requires people to actually do, you know, put up the border wall. Whoever is the next president should tear apart ICE, Customs and Immigration, and not the agents. The agents are doing God's work. God bless those men and women are out there on the front line. What I'm talking about is the bureaucracy. Yeah. Make it where those people who want to come to America have a path to citizenship. That's easy. Yeah. If, if you have something to offer to us, whether that's the sweat on your brow and the hard work of, of, of your sore back, or whether that's the intellect of your double PhD or double E coming here and making us better, 
and you want to be part of this dream, this, this idea, I want those people here and I want them here now. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very simple. I couldn't agree more. I mean, so many valid points. Like, we, we, we could literally do this all night. Like, I, 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 I love sitting do it all night. It. Yeah, I know. I'm getting hungry, though, and I, I promised you guys <laughs> steaks, so I, I got to go man the grill here soon. Well, Jason, <clears throat> first and foremost, man, like, I love having you in my circle, and I, I, I want to thank you so much for coming out and doing the show, man. Um, I hope all of you that have watched this, even if you're not a gun person, Go check it out. It might be a poster type picture that uh, intrigues you out on, on his website. I'm just saying, like, the dude has some of the most prestige, quality made, crafted guns made in America that you can purchase. And don't just think that this is some, like, hey, just because it's made in America, it's going to be 10 times what I can afford or anything like that. No, I mean, obviously, we, we joked earlier about the Apache and, you know, what a phenomenal piece of weaponry that that is. And, yes, it's expensive, but it's this isn't meant to be your everyday carry. This isn't this isn't meant to be, uh, you know, like something like that. It, it's meant to be something that is a ultimate weapon, ultimate self-defense. I mean, you have something like that as, to, to go fall back on. Um, but there are plenty of guns, plenty of guns coming on there that are just, if you want to support America and buy American made, I couldn't recommend a better company. Like go check it out yourself. Look it up. It's phenomenal stuff. And he's got all the support to show you that and just check it out for yourself. I I don't need to boast it anymore, but we end every show with a couple of things, and I think it's time we go down that road. Okay. So, first and foremost, the number one question we ask is, if you could leave your children or child, I know you said you have a son, I don't know if you have more than you, you have two kids, you could leave your children with one piece of advice, one that that's the last thing you get to give them is advice-wise, what would that piece of advice be? I give my kids a lot of advice. Um, take the shot. Go for it. Whatever you want to do in life, you get one turn at this. Go out there. It's going to be whatever you, your dreams are, they're going to be hard. Otherwise, they wouldn't be your dreams. And go do it. Doesn't, if you fail, Dust yourself off, redefine your dream, come at it from a different angle, but go out there and take the shot. So you heard it. Common denominator again. Common sense. That's the podcast. Common sense. We've talked about a lot. We've covered a lot of various subjects, topics. If there's something I haven't asked you, something that you've been thinking about that you haven't got a chance to talk about, it's your, it's your chance to give us your two cents. And that could be about whatever, man. It could be your two cents of advice. It could be your two cents of, hey, I just, just something I want to share on common sense. 
I don't know if there's anything I'd like to share. I mean, listen, I, I, I love the relationship with you, Garrett. Uh, thank you for having me on. Absolutely, uh, man. Anytime. You're welcome back anytime. I've, I've really enjoyed this. Um, it gets me away from kind of the, the day-in and day-out number crunching of the business. Yeah. And we get to talk about some things that we both believe in deeply. Um, no, but I, I guess what I would uh, just leave with is, you know, again, don't ever quit. Always take the shot. Uh, be prepared to fail. And, um, you know, this is an amazing, amazing country the world has never seen. Spend more days figuring out what is right with the country and how you can relate with your neighbor, even if you don't agree with them. Figure out the things that um, bring us together, not pull us apart. Because um, our history has only started. It hasn't been written. This is a footnote. Our past 250-some-odd years are a footnote. Um, People need to kind of sack up, pull themselves up by their, their bootstraps and, and define what the, the next century of American exceptionalism is going to be. And that's, that's, your, that's your listeners. That's people out there in the country. And I'm looking forward to seeing what it's going to be. I'm optimistic. Absolutely, man. I, I couldn't say it better. And I don't have anything else to say after that. I mean, I think he just wrapped the last two hours up perfectly. So... I want to thank all y'all for joining us and enjoying another episode, hopefully, of Common Sense Podcast. Y'all leave us some comments. Other people y'all want to see on here, things you want to talk about, leave them in the comments. Give us a rating. Give us a like. Give us a share if you think somebody else would enjoy this podcast. And we're going to see you again next week, only it's going to be on a really different time because Biz and I both have some things next week that we've got to move the show around. But... Not sure where we're going to shoot the show yet. We'll see what the weather's like. Maybe it'll be from another top secret location. I don't know. But next week, we're going to be recording on Saturday. So you guys will be off on the weekend. Hopefully you'll have time to tune in. We're shooting for somewhere around 1 p.m., somewhere around there. So hopefully you guys can join us again. But until next time, y'all be safe out there.